0: Now as we just heard from our scripture reading, here in these verses, James is dealing with the sin of showing partiality to the rich and discriminating against the poor. Last week we fleshed out just how sinful it is to do such things. When we show partiality, we unjustly judge people based on outward appearance and upon that which is superficial. We corrupt righteousness and as James said, We become judges with evil thoughts or evil motives. We noted that when this sin is found within a church, with believers favoring other believers who are rich while despising believers who are poor, we are then found to be acting contrary to the mission and work of Christ. For Christ died to bring all his people into one body, each having the same value and worth. We're also found to be standing opposed to God who has chosen the poor to be rich in faith and inheritors of the kingdom. God means to display his mercy and power through the exaltation of the poor. And so to be found disregarding the poor sets one at odds with God's own stated purpose and plan. So my hope with last week's message was that we would be exhorted away from this sin. However, I noted last week that there was more that James had to say about this topic than what I was prepared to share at the time. Thus, we've come to verses 8 to 13. In these verses, James underlines his warnings about the sin of partiality as if with a bold red ink marker. And he tells us, Listen, the very fate of your soul could depend upon your obedience to this command not to show partiality." Last week I said that this sin was serious and indeed all sin is serious but too many people fail to realize this and so James recognizing this failure warns us to watch our conduct because what you do says a lot about who you are and only those who prove by the way that they live to have been redeemed by Christ will receive mercy in the judgment to come This is why James has written to us before regarding the genuineness of our faith and conduct that is in keeping with genuine faith. And he has yet more to tell us. So the warning that James lays before us tonight is this. Be careful to conduct yourselves as believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ who will receive mercy in the judgment. Be careful to conduct yourselves as believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ who will receive mercy in the judgment. As we heard clearly last week, the showing of partiality to the rich is not in keeping that the faith, with the faith that we hold. And James makes the point to us in these five verses that the showing of partiality causes us to be guilty before God and judged by Him as transgressors. And the judgment to be faced will be one that is without mercy. So while the weight of last week's sermon was on exposing the sin of partiality in the way that it mocks unity within the church that Christ suffered to make, and how it puts those who practice it at odds with God who has chosen the poor, the weight of my message tonight will rest upon the serious consequences for those who practice the showing of partiality and the importance of conducting oneself in a manner that is in keeping with the gospel. So let's begin again by looking at the seriousness of the sin of partiality. James says in verses 8 and 9, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You shall, let me read that again, if you really fulfill the royal law according to scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law, transgressors. Now this is a command that we should all be familiar with. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But I want you to notice the relationship that this command has to the command not to show partiality. James says that if we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we are doing well. But if we show partiality, we are lawbreakers. In other words, When you discriminate against the poor, you are failing to love them as yourself. At its core, the sin of partiality is about a lack of love for those who are discriminated against. And this is significant. If we were still under the illusion that the showing of partiality was not sin, or at the very least a small sin, if such a thing exists, then James making reference to this royal law of scripture should cause us to see just how serious the sin really is. The command to love your neighbor as yourself is called the royal or supreme law of scripture because together with the command to love God, it forms the supreme overarching rule upon which all of the rest of the law depends. To put that another way, every command given in scripture Every exhortation, every warning, every encouragement, and every rebuke has as its purpose and intent the love of God and the love of neighbor. Consider what Matthew 22 verses 34 to forty says. But when the Pharisees heard that he, that is Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Consider also Romans 13, verses 8 to 10. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. lastly, Galatians 5 verse 14. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor. So the point being made by Scripture is clear. You violate the supreme law of God when you show partiality to the rich and discriminate against the poor. And James says that when we do this, we are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Now when we hear this charge, we need to understand the seriousness of it. We might wrongfully view sin, this sin, or any sin, like plucking one leaf off your grandmother's favorite plant. It's a small thing and she'll barely even notice. But perhaps if you keep doing it over and over, she will notice and then you'll get into trouble. Thus, we may think that God operates in the same way. That we get a certain number of sins that we can commit before we get labeled a transgressor. But that's not how it works. The commission of sin is more like taking a cutlass to your grandmother's favorite plant and in one smooth motion chopping the whole thing down. In an instant, you have become a transgressor. But still, some will argue and say, that's not right. All I did was make the poor man stand at the back. Yes, perhaps it was wrong to judge him based on his clothes, but it's not like I cursed the man. As a matter of fact, when I said him to be bat, I was quite polite. But it's not like I killed him. It's not like I committed adultery with his wife. It's not that big of a deal. How can you call me a transgressor? That is some serious language. Well, think about it this way. Now that you chopped down your grandmother's favorite plant, do you think that it matters that you didn't also pluck off all the leaves and pull off all the flowers? No, in the same way, you can't argue, well, yes, I despise the poor man, but it's not like I killed him or slept with his wife. Listen, both killing the man and sleeping with his wife would show a lack of love for him. But you have already done that by despising him. And so the status of transgressor is well-deserved. Furthermore, look at verse 10. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. And so the argument comes again. But that is so harsh. How can breaking just one law make me a transgressor as if I'd broken all the laws? Well, if you're wondering why this legal standard is so high, why breaking only one law makes you a transgressor of the law as a whole, then James supplies the answer in verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. You see, when thinking about the law, we must never detach it from he who gave it. God gave man the law, written on the heart and then written on tablets of stone. And this law is a reflection of the very nature of God. Thus, to break any one of his laws is to show contempt upon God himself. To break any one of His laws is to despise His very nature. As Deuteronomy 6.4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You cannot despise one part of God while loving the other. You cannot mock one part of God while honoring the other. The Lord is one. There are no parts to God. He is indivisible. And so too is his law. Thus to break one law is to break them all. And to despise one law is to despise them all. The next verse, uh, verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6 says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your might. So all of the law has to do with loving God. And all sin ultimately shows a lack of love for God. All sin ultimately offends God. This is why David says in the Psalms, Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. This is what makes the breaking of the law so serious. It is ultimately about the mockery of God himself. James 2 verse 11 goes on to say, if you do not commit adultery but do murder you have become a transgressor of the law again it does not take the breaking of all of god's laws to make one a transgressor of the law james is belaboring this point for our good again he wants us to understand that the road to becoming a transgressor does not look like driving down the street sinning and breaking laws as you go until eventually You reach the last of God's laws, break it, and then finally arrive at your destination of transgressor. No. The road to becoming a transgressor looks more like driving down the street, breaking even one command, and right away, slamming straight into God's holy justice. The car is a twisted wreck of metal and glass and has burst into flames. As it turns out, the town of transgressor is a lot closer to us than we think. And this is what happened to our parents, Adam and Eve. All they had to do was sin once, and they immediately became transgressors. And so they were stranded in the town of transgression without an easy way out. And now all of us are born into the town of transgression. We don't need to travel there ourselves. Nevertheless, we spend the rest of our lives going on scenic tours of this town, sampling all of its attractions and taking in all it has to offer by way of sin. The sad reality of fallen human nature is that we love living here. Brethren, my point is that it is very easy to become a transgressor of God's law. Fail in even one point, and you might as well have failed in all. And what's more, we were born transgressors because of Adam. And all we can do in and of ourselves is continue to transgress. Transgression is what the flesh desires. It's what the heart wants in its corrupt state. So this is the reason for James' warning. Sin, and more specifically, as in the context he sets before us, the sin of partiality, causes us to be convicted by the law as transgressors. And we know that in God's court, no one found guilty of sin escapes punishment. This ought to be a sobering thought because, as you know, all of us have fallen short of God's righteous standard. As I said before, we are all transgressors of his law. So how can we escape God's inescapable judgment? Well, friends, as you know, there is good news. For there is another law under which we may be judged and thus escape God's wrath. So far tonight, as we've been talking about the law, we've been talking about the Old Covenant. The Ten Commandments and all the other commands written in the Old Testament are what the Jews call the Law and the Prophets. And that law is good and holy, but it only has power to condemn. Our corrupt nature means that no man born of Adam is able to live up to God's exacting standard. We can't live up to the standard found in the Old Testament. Thus, we could refer to the Old Covenant law as the law that brings death, because it demands perfect and persistent obedience to every jot and tittle, for all time. And mankind, since the fall, can only fail. Listen carefully to what Paul says to the Romans in chapter 7, from verse 7. It's long enough that you might want to turn to your Bibles. Romans chapter 7, from verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet, If the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. and a reflection of the holy, loving, and righteous nature of God. But all it can do, because of our corrupt nature, is expose our sin and make us guilty. It has no power to give us the ability to follow its commands. Thus, the old covenant law cannot save and only brings judgment and death to us. And so for God to save us from ourselves, he had to make a new covenant. A new covenant not like the one he made of the Israelites, when so he brought them out of Egypt. A new covenant not like the old one that was good and righteous, but the terms of which were unattainable by sinful flesh. No, this new covenant would be an easy yoke and a light burden. This new covenant is the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the gospel, the demands of the law under the old covenant are by no means discarded. No. Rather, they are kept perfectly and obeyed to the letter by our substitute, the man, Christ Jesus. And the good that he has done in perfectly obeying the law is credited to us, who could never hope to obey in and of ourselves. And our sin, both the sin that we have inherited from Adam, and the sin that we committed on our own, is paid for by the shed blood of the same Jesus. in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Praise be to God for the law of the Spirit of life. Praise be to God for what James here calls the law of liberty. The gospel frees us from sin and death. The gospel saves us from the rightly deserved wrath of God. Indeed, The gospel comforts the believing sinner by declaring him not guilty because of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And then the gospel sanctifies the sinner. The new covenant provides the Holy Spirit to indwell the believer. Day by day making him or her more and more like Jesus Christ. The gospel transforms the heart. It makes new creatures out of dead creatures. We who are in Christ love righteousness and hate sin because of the gospel. We love each other as brothers and sisters because of the gospel. We even love our neighbor because of the gospel. And above all, we love God because of the gospel. This is what the new covenant or the gospel or the law of liberty does. It makes the guilty innocent and it makes the profane Holy. It brings life to the dead and sets the convict free, transformed and reborn. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, rejoice and be glad because this is what it has done for you. And so James says, speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. After hearing all that I have described, would you rather be be judged under the law that brings death? Or would you rather be judged under the law of liberty? After learning of the unattainable standards of the old covenant law, how even one broken law makes you guilty of all, and a transgressor destined for judgment and the fires of hell, are you still trying to be justified by the law? I beg you, flee from self-righteousness and recognize your need for a savior. For by the works of the flesh shall no human being be justified. Instead, believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus is God, come in the flesh. God with us. Believe that he lived a life of perfect obedience and never became a transgressor. Believe that he died to pay for the sins of those who would believe. Believe that he rose to life again, showing his power over death. And believe that he is now alive and well, reigning in heaven, and he is coming again to judge the world. Turn from your sin, from the sin of partiality and all other sin. Repent and lay a hold of Jesus Christ by faith. Lay a hold of this way of escape. In the same way that a drowning man would hold on to a a floating life preserver don't let go of it because as james has warned you before he warns you again speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy those who practice the favoring of the rich and the despising of the poor break the supreme command of Scripture to love God and to love their neighbour. They act not as those who will be judged under the law of liberty, but but as those who have not believed the gospel and are still under a curse. Thus they show themselves to be loveless and unmerciful and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And so in the judgment to come they will receive no mercy. For they have shown no mercy in their despising of the poor. The theologian Matthew Henry notes that, and I quote, the doom which will be passed upon impenitent sinners at the last judgment will be without mercy. There will be no mixtures or allays in the cup of wrath and trembling, the dregs of which they must drink, end quote. All sin will be judged in this way for those who refuse the law of liberty in the gospel and remain under the law that brings death. But to believers, again I say rejoice. Speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For mercy triumphs over judgment. Conduct yourselves like people who have truly and genuinely been transformed by the message of the gospel. Flee from sin in all of its hideous forms. Have nothing to do with wicked behavior. Show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus. Let it be seen by your living that you are indeed under the new covenant law of liberty. Follow the royal law of scripture. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself show mercy and do what is good do justice and love kindness and walk humbly with your god for to those who do god's mercy will indeed triumph over judgment as our lord said blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy rejoice that you have been shown mercy in the person and work of jesus christ and endeavor to spend the rest of your life living in active gratitude for what he has done for you. Let the mercy of God shown to you in the cross empower your righteous conduct as you aim to be obedient to this command to speak and act as those who are to be judged under this lovely rule of the gospel.